Greetings and welcome to the Animal Wellness Podcast, the official podcast of Animal Wellness Action. Hi, I'm your host, Joseph Grove. On this show, we talk about animals from the perspective of people who care about them and have the ability to improve their lives by influencing culture and supporting related laws and regulations. To stay up to date with all of our news and information, subscribe to this podcast, receive our free newsletters and more, visit animalwellnessaction.org. On most uh, episodes, I'm joined by Wayne Pasali, who's the president and founder of Animal Wellness Action, and um, our good friend Marty Irby, who is uh, our lobbyist and one of our uh, big executives with Animal Wellness Action today. Uh, however, uh, and this is no consolation prize, Scott, so if you perceive I'm kind of saying, well, listen to the show anyway, I'm really not, because Scott, <laughs> you're a fascinating person and you've been on the show before. You were the director of campaigns for Animal Wellness Action and the Center uh, for a Humane Economy. So it's, it's good to talk to you again, and I appreciate your being here. Oh, it's an honor to, to be back, Joseph, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, and that's another way this show is a little bit different because we're going to be talking with someone who had you know, a real-life encounter, if you will, with many of the issues we talk about. And he is going to give us his perspective on, on what happened. It's made news up there in uh, Oregon, where he's from, where he's based. Yeah, so we're going to be talking with uh, Fire Chief Gene Davies. He's from Green Springs, Oregon. That's pretty close to Ashland, I understand, though, as I was sharing with Scott, my geography is 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 poor, but Gene is the fire chief up there, and uh, he was minding his own business, got a call, and we're going to turn it right over to him, Gene. Tell us about the bear you found and how we learn sometimes the hard way that no good deed goes unpunished. Okay, well, uh, just a really brief background on our geography. Uh, we're actually located about 20 miles southeast of the city of Ashland. And we're up in a uh, isolated mountain community that uh, is uh, part of the Cascade Siskiyou National Monument. So uh, it's a uh, mountainous forested area uh, very, very much removed from any uh, typical city type uh, setting. Have you watched Murder Mountain on Netflix? Because I was just talking with, with uh, Scott about this. It's Northern California, that whole area. And I'm just imagining, imagining as you described this place, just isolated roads, tall, ginormous trees, almost uh, uh, Edenic in, in beauty and natural state. It is. And uh, interestingly, the Cascade Siskiyou National Monument is uh, most well known for its uh, ecological and uh, biodiversity. That is the main reason that it was, uh, that the monument was created in the first place. Gotcha. So you were, you were on the job, uh, a fire chief, uh, mm -hmm. on Wednesday, uh, April 7th. So this is very recent, Wednesday morning. Uh, what happened? I received a call from a community member at about 8.40 in the morning, and she explained that there was a, uh, a traffic hazard due to a bear in the middle of the highway. Uh, highway 66 is a state highway, very well-traveled and at relatively high speeds. So we take... Uh, uh, we consider hazards like this to be a serious matter. So I responded immediately. It was only a, a few miles away. 
And when I arrived, I uh, saw that there was a young bear estimated about probably 40, 50 pounds. And it was just strolling down the double yellow line in the middle of the highway. I've done uh, that some days after, okay. after parties. Okay. People will find me just strolling down the middle of the highway. Well, this so. bear was actually walking a pretty straight line. I don't do that. So, okay, oh. back to the bear. <laughs> back to the bear. Uh, so, uh, um, in addition to the bear in the highway, we had some motorists also in the highway doing their best to try to shoo the bear away. And at this point, I blocked one lane with my uh, emergency vehicle uh, and called in to my dispatch. I asked for backup from the Oregon State Police and also the Fish and Wildlife Bureau. And I uh, got out of my vehicle and kind of joined the effort to shoo this bear uh, up into the woods. And it was that time that I noticed the bear was acting the behavior was very unusual in that the bear seemed to be really good friends already with one of the motorists who had stopped. Uh, it was quite friendly, walked right up to her, uh, showed, uh, showed no fear whatsoever. Uh, after a few minutes of this, we were able to shoo the bear up, in, up into the woods. Uh, we uh, were able to clear the hazard from the road. Traffic resumed uh, its normal course. And I stayed on scene to make sure that the bear stayed uh, away from the highway. Well, it was just a few minutes uh, transpired and the bear started to return to the highway and uh, walked, uh, walked right up to me. And at that point, uh, I tried to shoo it back up into the woods. And this time as it, uh, as it ran up, uh, into the tree line, I followed it and uh, decided to stay with the bear until help arrived. All right, so uh, so you had help originally, uh, and then and then they left. There there had been some other officials there helping you shoo away the bear, correct? So they Actually, must have... no. They, these were only bystanders gotcha. or motorists. I got gotcha. you. Okay, so at this point, the uh, Oregon State Police uh, or the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife they had not arrived yet. Correct. Okay, very good. So I decided, well, I'll just babysit the bear for a while until this backup arrives. And uh, spent a, a good couple of hours with the bear. I, it stayed by my side most of the time. It uh, plopped down and took a nap for 20 minutes or so. Uh, went wandering around. Uh, uh, with me in tow, and then I went wandering around with the bear in tow. So we uh, uh, we became inseparable in a very short period of time. So so you're still waiting, and and no no help arrives. So you've got to be kind of freaking out a little bit. What are you going to do with this bear? I mean, you can't just drive away and leave it back on the road again. It's not leaving your side. What's your mental process as the clock ticks on? Well, my mental process is, wow, this is all new and exciting. Um, <laughs> we, uh, I waited for a, a couple hours uh, before giving up on, uh, on any help from uh, the two agencies that I called. And I had a couple of my own volunteers show up with a large dog crate 
and uh, some treats that we thought we could entice the bear with. And uh, they basically showed up uh, on the on the highway with the with the the dog crate. And I came walking down out of the woods with the bear right at my heels. Uh, I was able to uh, fashion a makeshift leash out of uh, some of my equipment in my fire rig. I put the leash on the bear and used that to guide the bear into the crate. Took the crate to my house, uh, put it in a nice, cool, shady area. And uh, that's when I went to work on trying to figure out what in the world to do next. Let, let me ask you this, because it seems to me that that bear was very friendly with people. And you've kind of alluded to your surprise at how yeah. uh, naturally accommodating this bear was to human interaction. Uh, were you suspicious as to whether the bear may have been dropped off or anything else cross your mind uh, as to how this bear just, gosh, made friends with you and went into a dog crate? And it's kind of like you just picked your dog up out of, out of the park. Oh, absolutely. You know, honestly, one of my first thoughts was that this bear was behaving more like a, uh, uh, a golden retriever than, uh, than a bear, just really, really friendly. So yes, of course, the thought that uh, this bear has, uh, has been around humans before, uh, that certainly crossed my mind. Uh, also in the back of my mind, I was concerned that, uh, that there might be a mama bear so, so you get the bear home, uh, and uh, I don't know if you have family at home or not, but you know it's not every day someone in a household brings brings a bear home. Do you have folks at home that reacted to that? If if you do, I'm just curious how in the world they they, they would react to you bringing a bear home in a dog crate. At the time, I was uh, uh, by myself at home, so no nobody came out to, uh, out to see the bear. However, because this is such a small community, uh, word gets around pretty quickly. And I did have a couple neighbors uh, inquire if they could come by and see the bear, uh, one of which did. Uh, everyone else was discouraged from doing so. I, I wanted to keep things really quiet uh, on the bear's behalf. Sure. Uh, and, and I would imagine, too, part of the wisdom of that you know, you, you didn't want to further acclimate the bear to human contact because we know that, as we're going to hear more in your story, a concern about bears and their comfort level with humans is a big problem, especially oh, for bears. Absolutely. Right. So you made a couple calls. Uh, what was your what was your plan? You've got this bear at home. Uh, what are you thinking is going to happen over the next 24 hours or 48 hours? Well, not uh, too long after we arrived uh, back at my home and, and situated the bear in the shade, I did receive a call from uh, Department of Fish and Wildlife. And they were aware at that time that I had the bear. And their suggestion to me was simply to take the bear far away and release it. What did you and, think of that advice? Did you think that was good advice? Were you beginning to think of places where you might well, take it? I, during, during the phone call itself, um, I was relatively agreeable to the advice and 
and uh, certainly started to consider that as my primary option. After I gave it some thought, um, I decided that I'd better do some research and formulate some kind of a plan uh, to do this with the bear's welfare in mind. Um, I did not want to release it somewhere where it would have no chance of survival. And also, I didn't want to release it somewhere where it would continue it, uh, its contact with humans. At some point, you began conversations with lions, tigers, and bears uh, rescue facility. Uh, when did they enter this story? Okay, actually, I never spoke with lions, tigers, and bears. Um, they were contacted initially by other community members who I had uh, contacted seeking advice. Did they, did they ever reach out to you? What communications, if any, did you have? With um, that actually, group? no, um, I, I had not spoken with them at all. However, I was made aware that they were willing to take the bear and were trying to make uh, preparations for legal transport. Yeah, but I never actually spoke with them or worked with them on the phone. So the bear stays with you Wednesday, and then Thursday, you get some visitors, correct? Thursday, and honestly, I don't recall exactly what time, but the uh, uh, Department of Fish and Wildlife and one officer from the Oregon State Police showed up. Uh, basically, they uh, had a single-minded intention to pick up the bear and write me a citation. And uh, those two things happened in that order. Uh, did they, I guess, have a truck or they put the bear in the crate that you already had? Okay, well, they did show up with a pickup truck and they did have a dog crate with them. So uh, they um, put the two crates uh, opening to opening and then used a choke stick, which is a long stick with a, uh, a, a strong cable or a rope loop on the end of it that they put around the bear's neck and then they can pull that loop tight. And they tried using that to transfer the bear to the other crate. It, uh, it was not really the best tool of choice for the job. They had a lot of trouble doing so. They got the choke cable. They were unable to release it from the bear's neck. And at the same time, the bear had one of its paws uh, stuck in the uh, in the mesh that forms the crate door. And I was able to uh, carefully remove its paw from that mesh and give give the bear a little shove on the behind and uh, and in the crate it went. How was the bear's attitude? It seems was was he fighting? Um, and I'm assuming it's a he. Uh, was was the bear fighting this? Did what was the bear's reaction as oh, this was going yeah. on? Yeah, the bear was was clearly unhappy with the with that choke device they used, and the bear was resisting that. Sure. What were your What were you feeling and thinking at the time? Um, my my feeling was that um, it didn't appear that they knew what they were doing. Uh, they were turning it, you know, they were introducing stress into an already stressful situation and uh, uh, basically making, making things worse. So you have the bear, 
you've you've cared for it. Uh, you're obviously invested at this juncture. When they come and they drive away with the bear, what did you think would happen next? What I thought would happen next is uh, they would drive away with the bear and uh, have it examined by a vet. And uh, it was my hope at that time that they would become aware of the uh, rescue resource that was being made available and, and that they would choose to release the bear to uh, lions, tigers, and bears, uh, uh, release it uh, to be part of their sanctuary. But that's not what happened at all, is it? Uh, no, not at all. All right. What, what, what did happen? Jean, tell well, us what happened next in, in, with this bear story. Well, the first surprise was the state police officer giving me a stern look and telling me that he's going to give me a citation. And I said, oh, okay, really? And uh, stood by while he prepared that in his truck. The second big surprise was the fact that he was citing me for uh, criminal negligence, which I thought was uh, was pretty unusual. So uh, that's where we left it. They drove away. Uh, about uh, probably about two hours later that afternoon, I received a call from Fish and Wildlife, and the gentleman on the phone simply informed me that uh, the bear had been destroyed. Less than two hours later, they had already uh, I, euthanized the bear. Yes, approximately. And I hesitate to use the word euthanized for uh, to describe an animal that was shot and killed. I want to turn it over to Scott now for a little bit because Scott uh, uh, teaches wildlife law and animal policy uh, at Willamette University. He's written a book on animal law. Uh, Scott, we have a guy uh, we we know from our discussions earlier, uh, a, a veteran in terms of being a first responder. This is not a guy that just you know, picks up a, a fire truck every now and then and heads out. We've got someone who really knows what he's doing on a lot of these types of issues. We've got a bear who committed no other sin than walking down to a road and, and making a few human friends. What went wrong in this situation, in your opinion? Well, I mean, it, it's, it's uh, uh, clearly a, another case of, uh, of these wildlife agencies, and, and I think Oregon is just about the worst. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm familiar with stories like this from all over the country, but I've never seen such, such a steady drumbeat of these kinds of stories uh, like what we've seen in Oregon. And essentially what these agencies are doing is they are criminalizing acts of kindness toward wildlife. Now, look, I am all for, you know, the, the laws that uh, prohibit the unlicensed private possession of dangerous wild animals. In fact, I wrote some of those laws here in Oregon. Uh, and worked very hard back in 2009 to get them passed. But never were any of those laws intended to make it a crime to help an animal that is clearly in need, um, especially when the person trying to help is himself a first responder who is responding, you know, in his official capacity to calls from concerned citizens. And so the, the, the conduct of both the Oregon State Police and ODFW were, you know, outrageous uh, at, at the worst and, and, 
you know, completely out of touch uh, at, at best. So, you know, what, what, uh, you know, what, what the chief did, he did everything right. He reached out to both agencies for help. At no time did they come and, and offer to, to help him with the situation. Uh, instead, the only time that they showed up was to punish him and to kill the bear. So what I think this really demonstrates is that these agencies need to go from killing animals and punishing good Samaritans and instead, you know, help animals in need and support the good Samaritans. Uh, in this case, of course, they did, they did precisely the opposite. Uh, and I think that's why we are seeing, you know, such public outrage over this story. Um, it also, you know, it's, it's been, it's been uh, really uh, mind-blowing to see how ODFW has doubled down on this false narrative. I mean, in all of, in all of ODFW statements, they don't even mention the fact that Gene was a first responder who was responding to a call in his official capacity. They, they leave that out. They, they leave out the fact that they, that they that, that the Oregon State Police was issuing a citation to a fellow first responder, um, probably because they know that that aspect of the story is likely to raise all sorts of question about their behavior and their decisions in this case. So again, I, I'm I'm not suggesting that we should uh, that you know that we should uh, you know take in wild animals and uh, and you know, uh, you know, commercialize them or turn them into our pets, but that's not what happened here. This was a guy who was trying to solve a problem, both a public safety problem and an animal welfare problem. Now, uh, in terms of my role, I was one of the individuals who got a call about the bear on the evening of the seventh, uh, when you know there were there were folks in the community looking for um, you know possible placement options for the bear. My wife, Jackie, uh, used to work for the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries, which inspects and gives accreditation to animal sanctuaries of every kind all over the world. And so she was familiar with lions, tigers, and bears in California. And she described it to me as an absolute top-notch facility, uh, one that was inspected and accredited by the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries. Uh, she's on a good first name basis with the founder and director of that facility. Her name is Bobby Brink. She called Bobby uh, and that, uh, that uh, created the connection with, uh, with that facility. And, you know, uh, uh, you know, Bobby Brink was uh, making preparations to come to Oregon and drive the bear back to her facility. You know, I, I, have, I have gone to Lions, Tigers, and Bears website. Uh, I've seen photographs and video. This bear would have had an amazing life in a giant, spacious outdoor enclosure with a pool, with enrichment. Uh, and most importantly, with people who would make sure that that bear was uh, was well cared for for the rest of its life. It would have cost the taxpayers nothing. It wouldn't have required any effort whatsoever by ODFW or the Oregon State Police. What you had is you had a first responder who solved a problem. He did everything right. Uh, and and he had embarked on, on a plan that would have uh, that that would have saved the taxpayers' money, that would have saved the bear's life, 
and that would have, you know, removed any further need for involvement by any state agencies. And, and instead, these agencies come in to his property, seize this little animal and kill it, and then issue him a citation as though he's committed a crime, costing the taxpayers money by way of their time and involvement, uh, the courts, uh, I mean, the, the, the prosecutor's office, I mean, it's just, it was such a poor decision um, on the part of these agencies. And, you know, just when, you know, in the, the response to uh, the media on this story has been overwhelmingly supportive of Chief Davies and overwhelmingly critical toward these two agencies who came in with a ham-fisted approach uh, that, that resulted in, you know, uh, criminal charges against a good Samaritan who was also a public, uh, a public servant and a, a dead little bear who just was asking for help. To execute the bear, knowing that help was on the way or available to save its life seems particularly egregious. And, and we are only getting one side of the story, of course. We, we don't have anyone on the show to represent uh, the Oregon Dep Department of Fish and Wildlife, nor do we have any of the state troopers here. And I want to be mindful of the, of the fact that we are hearing only one side of it. And I think it's fair to, to acknowledge that. But it would be hard, I think, to understand how knowing that the rescue operation was underway, that they could proceed with the, the killing of the bear, to me is very problematic. It was also interesting to me to read uh, the comments from either ODFW or the police that they thought putting a wild animal into a sanctuary would not be humane. And I read that and I thought, holy cow, that's what zoos are. These, these are people who probably take their kids to the zoos and see nothing inhumane about that. So why they would have raised the issue of humaneness relative to putting a bear into a sanctuary, particularly when it was you know, young enough, one would assume to adapt to it. Well, Again, I very think- perplexing. I, it, yeah, if, if I can interrupt, Joe, I, I think that the, the ODFW is the one that, that stated that uh, transferring this little bear to a sanctuary would be inhumane. They only started uh, saying that after the public uh, was outraged and, and public criticism was growing. So they tried to change the narrative into somehow they were committing an act of kindness by summarily executing this little bear. Um, these, here's the thing, uh, you know, you make a good point, you know, they're not here to defend themselves. These agencies don't have anyone here to defend themselves. It would be one thing if this was a one-off, but what, what in fact is, is obvious is that this is, this is just the latest in a long list of terrible stories. Um, these agencies punish people who try to, to commit acts of kindness with wildlife in need. And part of the punishment Part of the punishment toward those Good Samaritans is to kill the animal, especially if it's an animal that the, the Good Samaritan obviously cares about and wants to see live. That is part of the punishment. And when I say it's part of a, a pattern of bad behavior, back in 2019, uh, a little bobcat kitten, uh, clearly orphaned and disoriented, wandered into a, a Eugene school. Um, the, the, uh, the, the little bear uh, or the little kitten was, uh, was uh, corralled by uh, Lane County Sheriff's deputies 
who contacted ODFW and, and they offered to take this little kitten back out into the woods and release it. And uh, ODFW says, no, we're probably going to uh, kill that animal. Sure enough, they sent the Oregon State Police Wildlife Division, the same division that, uh, that uh, issued the citation to Chief Davies, uh, came to the school, took possession of this little baby bobcat kitten and bludgeoned it to death. They didn't even give it the benefit of a humane death. They beat it to death. And then ODFW, when, when public outrage erupted and they were summoned to the Oregon legislature to defend themselves, the wildlife veterinarian for ODFW, who's probably the same veterinarian that made the call to kill this little bear, doubled down and said that beating a baby animal to death is a perfectly fine form of euthanasia. At no time did they give that little baby kitten uh, a, a veterinarian exam. At no time did they look it over to see if it might be suitable for rehab. There was a wildlife vet uh, available just a couple miles from that school that could have easily taken that little kitten in and turned it over to a licensed rehabber for rehabilitation and release. What's interesting is uh, after that story happened, of course, uh, it, it, it erupted in the media. Uh, and then just uh, shortly after that, one of that kitten's litter mates showed up on the same school grounds. This time, ODFW showed up uh, and mindful of the public outrage, took the kitten to a, a, a veterinarian who pronounced it perfectly healthy and able to be released. And they, they turned that little kitten back out into the wild. So, you know, again, uh, they're not here to defend themselves. I'm sure that they would do a great job of, of explaining themselves if they were. But I can tell you that, you know, Gene's story and the story of this little bear is just the latest in a string of terrible stories that clearly illustrate it's time to, to change the way these agencies approach situations like this. It's, it's amazing the number of practices where bludgeoning is the go-to means, right? So, you know, piglets who, who don't uh, demonstrate sufficient viability to become profitable for pig farms, you know, that's the means of, of getting rid of them. You know, they, they thump them, they bludgeon them. Uh, we talked in our last episode about how kangaroo hunters, uh, the prescribed method of doing away with joeys found in the pouches of uh, these, these murdered kangaroos are bludgeoned to death on the spot. We're awfully big fans, it seems to me, as a species of bludgeoning. Well, we, the, the, the ODFW really, uh, try, you know, really misled the public in, in, in their justification of that incident by saying that bludgeoning was an approved method of euthanasia by the American Veterinary Medical Association. But in fact, when you look at the AVMA guidelines for euthanasia, um, it, it says that it is only suitable for animals with a very thin skull, for example, rodents used in research, uh, and, and not suitable for other species, and all other methods should be explored first. So ODFW really misled the public uh, in the aftermath of that incident, uh, really distorting what the rules say and, you know, again, just a, a terrible attempt to cover up bad behavior. Gene, uh, um, what is the status of your citations? Um, have they been dismissed? Are you still facing them? 
where are you in terms of the legal aftermath of this event? Well, at last word from my attorney, uh, the charges have not yet been filed with the district attorney. So okay. that basically puts me in limbo. I can't take any further action until there is a filing. Uh, I suppose it's possible that they may simply not file the charges. But at the same time, I have a, uh, a citation in writing and in hand. What would you do differently, Gene, if anything? I, I honestly don't think I would have done anything differently. Uh, maybe made a few small adjustments here or there, but uh, no, I, I think I would have taken all the same action. Scott, um you know, you live in a rural area. Uh, much of the country is rural. We encounter wildlife more and more, of course, because we're encroaching on their space. Uh, what are some best practices for people who might be in gene spot or, you know, if I'm driving through a park or taking a walk and come across a wild animal that needs help, what should we do? You know, it's interesting. That, that That's a great question, Joe. And, you know, one, probably the most common comment that I saw uh, on social media and in comments posted uh, to the news stories was uh, whatever you do, if you see an animal in need, don't call ODFW and don't call the Oregon State Police because it is a death sentence. Now, it, that, that's, just, that's just terrible. We should be able to call these agencies. You know, there are so many states out there uh, that, that have you know, programs and approaches to situations like this that really emphasize supporting people that want to help animals and that actually help the animals. Um, and, and so we know it's being done successfully in other states. We know that other states take the approach that, uh, you know, that uh, when, when wildlife show up in the wrong place at the wrong time, uh, very often it's, it's best to just stand back and, and let the, the situation uh, resolve itself. I mean, I, I, there, there's one story, I believe, out of Idaho, um, where a family was uh, sitting in their living room with the front door open on a warm summer evening, and a cougar comes walking in through their front door, uh, looks at them as, as it passes uh, down the hall and goes into their bathroom and curls up and falls asleep around their toilet. So they called, they called the, the fish, and they, they shut the bathroom door and they called Fish and Game, and Fish and Game came and, they, and the, the agent uh, uh, opened the bathroom window, went back into the house, uh, opened the door and said, shoo, and the cougar jumped out the window and went on its way, and that was the end of the story. If that had been Idaho, or if that, I'm sorry, if that had been Oregon, you really get the sense that ODFW would have called in airstrikes. I mean, it, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I mean, it's just, it's amazing that even states with what we consider to be pretty retrograde wildlife policies like Idaho and Utah take a much more humane approach to helping, you know, wildlife uh, that, that, you know, are, are in need or in, are, like I said, in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, you know, the, the ODFW's own rules for its wildlife rehabilitators that have ODFW licenses is that any bear that they come in contact with uh, is supposed to immediately be transferred to the agency's veterinary facility and then placed in a suitable facility. 
So the question is, if, if those are the rules that ODFW imposes on its own rehab professionals, why in the world would they not follow that same course of action themselves? It just makes no sense. Right. Jane, thank you for, for being on the show. And I admire you. And uh, my heart goes out not only, of course, to, to the bear, but to you, because I know you had to have developed in your short period of time with this creature, a kind of paternal protectiveness of him, and that it ended so poorly really makes me sad. So, so thank you for being on. Thank you for trying to do what you tried to do and doing what you did. And um, I, I hope everything resolves well for you in terms of the court and that maybe the public up there in Oregon will understand what's happened and put some pressure on the right people to prevent this kind of thing from happening again. So thank you. It, it was a very sad thing for me. Um, that's for certain. And uh, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate the opportunity. Excellent. And Scott, uh, you brought a great specific voice to this and it's always nice to have you on uh, the show. So thank with that, yeah, absolutely. And and with that, we'll say thank you to our audience for listening to the Animal Wellness Podcast. Be sure to visit animalwellnessaction.org for all of our news and information and to sign up for our news alerts. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, and we invite you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or Spotify. I'm your host, Joseph Grove, and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Animal Wellness Podcast. 